Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the book of Enoch, the prophet. Part 1, Canto 5, the nations of earth and their accursed fates. To his amazement, Enoch viewed the vastness of space that comprised the universe God made many eons ago, but the brief tour of it all inside and out of that holy spaceship, traveling by the path of angels, returned him to earth once again. Upon his arrival, Enoch did perceive a distant future from his time, being in the midst of the earth, and that it was happy and fertile, which contained live branches continually sprouting from all of the many trees that were planted upon it. The mist of the earth, in this case, was not Egypt. This middle of the earth was a distant continent, and there Enoch saw a mountain range with water to the east, a great river flowing towards the south into a great sea. Further to the east of that river flowing south, there was another mountain range as high as the first, between these places there were deep but narrow valleys. Water ran towards the western mountains from the north, and further to the west there was another mountain range. Beyond those mountains was another valley, but not wide. Below that area and in the midst of them there were others, and these were deep and dry valleys, death valleys, spreading towards the extremities of the three directions. All of these valleys, which were deep and narrow, consisted of a strong rock with a tree which was planted in them, but something about it all was not right. Enoch wondered at these mountains, the rocks, the valleys, and this tree planted there, which surprised him greatly. Enoch, confused by all of what seemed unnatural, being that it was all apparently changed from naturality, turned to one of his associates and spoke, asking, What means this blessed land, all these lofty mountains, and the tree in the accursed valley between them? Serakiah looked at Enoch, saddened and unwilling to say, being the watcher of children and knowing their sins. Uriel spoke up because it is his voice that has no fear, though he spreads terror without effort in the telling. This valley is the accursed of the accursed forever. Here shall be collected all who utter with their mouths unbecoming language against God and speak harsh things that deny his glory. Here shall they be collected. Here in this place shall they settle, making it their territory. In the latter days of mankind's existence on earth, God will make an example of judgment upon those who dwell in this place. The righteous saints among them will be the standard of measurement by which God will judge them all. But those who receive his mercy shall forever and ever, all their days, bless the Lord God, the everlasting King. Even through the period of judgments, those saints will bless him for his mercy, because he has distributed it to them. Hearing the tale of God's judgment and his mercy for the inhabitants of this foreign land of foreigners, of how those latter-day saints among them are the measurement for his judgment upon all of them on judgment day, Enoch blessed God, addressing himself to him and making mention as they have met of his greatness. It might not have been clearly understandable to Enoch the complete meaning of this revelation of how people who would one day in the future migrate to this place, this splendid land of mountains, rivers, valleys, and trees, would become the example for all of humanity, being the envy of the entire world for their prosperity when God judges them for their sinfulness and profanity. Whereupon this land did tread the elect and the chosen one, who set men upon a path to fulfill this prophecy, that they would live lives that became the metal forged into the armor and sword of Almighty God. 
It was too early in history for Enoch to fully understand the meaning of all these accursed formations and forms that were mountains, valleys, and a tree, such that this was all a vision of profane unnaturalities. This land Enoch did spy from his place above it in the sky represented the worst of all unnaturalities of inhumanities, being the cause of lamentations, protestations, and accusations that this place supported, allowed, made legal, and encouraged homosexuality, bisexuality, transsexuality, and other immoralities, becoming the central place in all of the earth where God's wrath will be measured in full upon it for these iniquities on Judgment Day. This place is North America, the United States, and Canada, not Africa. Such as it will be the fate of that nation, having a shore to its west with deserts, mountains, and a valley, between a river and rivers, more mountains and another shore, an example of God's wrath for its iniquities made well known to all others elsewhere on the earth and throughout the universe. What of these others becomes the question as Enoch travels eastward, arriving across the broad expanse of water to the middle of a mountain, in a desert positioned on a level surface such as the former belief of earth floating as a disk surrounded by water not being a rock, floating in space, revolving around the sun the same as the moon orbits, this flat land of desert in the midst of a mountain covered with trees. It was full of trees of the seed alluded to, and water leaped, falling down upon all of it and everywhere around it, being islands and shores between other bodies of water surrounding all of it. Clouds concealing it like fog, composed of many other cataracts in directions both east and west, and more trees along one side, with the other side more water and dew. Being full of the sea, the growth and corruption the same as the nation to the west, the fate of these nations will be the same with God's wrath, raining down upon it with fire and fury to flame its branches to ashes and dust, becoming a desolation to denounce its end as a lie for being the source of all lies told to all of mankind. The blasphemous and sinful seed of the heretic is shaped like a boot. From the desolation of the destined to self-destruct nations, Enoch continued traveling in some oddly circuitous route, which becomes difficult to follow with any sensible pattern. He eventually arrived in another place, having its own deserts and many valleys and mountains covered in more choice trees, particularly those which produce the sweet-smelling drugs, frankincense, opiates, and myrrh, and trees unlike to each other. Over it, above all of them, being the highest on all of earth, this ever-eastern mountain at no great distance, rising up to touch nearly the firmament of heaven itself, becoming the one place on earth where few men tread in an effort to leap from that highest peak to walk upon the path of angels in defiance of sanity and human limitation. From this nation will ascend many souls of men in darkness, being oppressed in the shadows of lies concealing God's glory from their cognizance and having no mind or will of their own, starving, destitute, war-ravaged, and emaciated from thirst their painful cries, wailing and screams ascend before them in such terrific horrors that even Uriel might flinch to know of it. These meek inherit the earth because heaven is no place for them. They followed a murderer and became murderers of murderers. Who is to blame for the condemnation in this line above? Sadness was Enoch's emotion knowing the situation for the occupants of those lands was a life of suffering for ages, and some of them were the descendants of his own race of men. Onward he traveled more to the east, encountering more trees, having an odor resembling a favored mastic among his own tribe. Beyond this, between two valleys of water was another land, having a sweet odor and a perception of cinnamon and spices. Further still was another place where the trees wept water that flowed like nectar from the sweetest flowers. These jungles were also surrounded by water, being named Sumatra, Java, and Thailand. 
where there grew many medicinal plants such as aloe, cinchona, and gabanum. There were many trees of entirely different seeds, and these trees were full like almond trees and strong, producing great fruit of splendid taste and flowers superior to all types of perfume. Having reached the edge of land, Enoch turned northward, seeing the entrances above more mountains where he saw seven mountains replete with lavender and cinnamon, and there were many odiferous trees and types of papyrus. Passing above the summits of those mountains eastward to some distant place far from the Etherean Sea, advancing far beyond it, Enoch passed along and above the Angel of Mercy, arriving at the Garden of Righteousness. In this garden he saw many trees that were large and flourishing. Their fragrance was agreeable and powerful, appearing varied and elegant. The tree of knowledge was also there, of which, if anyone eats, he becomes endowed with great wisdom and knowledge. This tree was like a species of tamarind tree, bearing pod-like fruit, resembling bunches of grapes in an extremely fine design, appearing duplicitously helical and having a complex fragrance, detectable to a considerable distance from its origin. Being surprised by the near endlessness of this tree's branches, Enoch exclaimed, How beautiful is this tree, and how delightful its appearance! Looking over at Enoch, whose fascination with all these sights had become an amusement for all of the watchers, and it was never their purpose for showing him these fates to have some pleasure at the expense of his limited evolution, Raphael determined that he should endeavor to enlighten his ward, that he might at least relate it all to his charge. He turned to Enoch and said, This is the tree of knowledge of which thy ancient father and thy aged mother ate, the first of humanity who were before thee on earth. Upon obtaining knowledge from the consumption of its fruit, their eyes opened with the ingestion of its medicaments, and they knew for the first time of their short life since being created whole and fully grown that they were naked. They were immediately expelled from the Garden of Eden, where first this tree was planted by God Almighty. Upon hearing these words of detail, which had not been heard or said before this time to any man, although all knew the tale of it just the same, Enoch stepped back a pace to give distance between himself in reverence of the irreverence that this single tree and all of God's creation represented to mankind. Endlessly traveling, not needing rest, and never being weary because he was eternal since transfiguration on Mount Sinai, Enoch continued southward toward the extremities of the earth, coming to a land where he saw large beasts different from each other, birds of variousness in their countenances and forms, and singing songs at different sounds and notes as well. Further east of these beasts he could see the earth's extremities where it ended and heaven began, with the gates of the heavens opening, and while standing there at the southernmost end he beheld the celestial stars. Enoch numbered them as they proceeded out of a gate and he wrote them all down, their numbers and their names, as they came out one by one according to their respective order. He wrote down their names altogether, their times and their seasons, as the angel Uriel, who was with him, pointed them out. Uriel showed all of them to Enoch, and he wrote down their details to account for each of them. Enoch also wrote down, as Uriel instructed, the rules of these luminaries, the names of these stars, their regulations, and their operations such as it was that Enoch had settled into his task as scribe. For Almighty God, that he began recording in his book the dates, births, lives, and deaths for all these celestial things as they appeared from the gates of heaven, forming at the extremities of earth, finding their ways to their places, lighting their destinations. Time had no meaning, and this was Enoch's vision of a time to come that he continued his adventures with associates aloft above the earth, where he advanced on towards the northern extremities of the planet, 
There he saw a great and glorious wonder at the farthest regions of the globe. It was not the aurora borealis, though something similar was appearing, as some heavenly gates opened to display all surrounded in a glow that Enoch might describe it as being distinctly separated as three gates. All of these three gates opened into the heavens, and the northern lights and winds proceeded from them, blowing cold, hail, frost, snow, dew, and rain. These forces of fury blew north of all the earth and over the top of it. From one of the gates, the wind blew mildly in a single effort, the first great wind of a storm brewing over all of the earth that it might have been intended as a warning, but it did not have that same meaning for the other two gates who responded with winds of their own. These other two gates blew strongly with a great force and violence being a more masculine strike over the earth. They blew covering all of the other with their winds, and they covered the whole earth with the falling of ice, hail, snow, and an endless winter of death, desolation, and destruction. As he continued watching all of this happen without a complete understanding of what it all meant and what he was seeing, Enoch observed another three gates open to the west, the same as he had seen open in the north, and all that went out of them were the same forces of fury of equal magnitude and result. Being at the northernmost reaches of the planet, where the furiously cold winds had blown across that pole, Enoch turned again to the south, where he saw three gates open, issuing forth from those were dew, rain, and winds. Staying aloft, Enoch traveled eastward, where three more gates opened to the east, but these had similar gates within each of them. Through each of these small gates, the stars of heaven passed on and proceeded towards the west by a path which only they could see, and at every period of their appearance, they were seen as bright lights upon impact. When Enoch saw them, he prayed. Every time each of those stars struck, Enoch blessed the Lord of glory, who had made those great and splendid signs, that they might display the magnificence of his work to angels and to the souls of sinners who suffer for their crimes, and that the righteous might glorify all his works and operations, that all might see the effect of his power might glorify the great labor of God's might and wrath, and that all might bless him forever by not committing to global thermonuclear warfare at the behest of the beast who comes at that time to force all the world to worship him and believe in science for their salvation when they should repent and worship God Almighty. The finality of his vision, that being the third vision of wisdom, and that wisdom being the knowledge of the fate of all nations, Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, saw the son of Lamech, who was the son of Methuselah, who was the son of Enoch, build an enormous ship in enough time before the great flood, a deluge that destroyed the world with water, which was not a vision among any of these first two visions, because these two visions, the first in a place far away from earth elsewhere in the universe, and the second about the earth and the fate of all mankind upon the planet, the day of God's final judgment to commence at a secret time, which will later become known to all in the telling of this tale. This is the commencement of these words of wisdom, which Enoch received, being tasked to declare and tell to those who dwell upon the earth. Listen to it all from the beginning, and understand to the end the holy things which he utters in the presence of the Lord of Spirits, that these words travel to the ears of those who come after him and through the Lord of Spirits may hear him speak. Let not those who come after this obstruct this wisdom by the actions of their ignorance that they ignore this truth. Until this present time never has there been given through the Holy Spirit that which has been received here. This wisdom according to the capability of the scribe's intellect and according to the pleasure of 
and as it pleases the Holy Spirit, the truth that Enoch did receive from God a portion of everlasting life. What must follow this wisdom of ages, the knowledge of the future coming to the present from someone who had said it in the distant past, God having no bounds of time, and three parables that Enoch declared, which must become known to all of the inhabitants of the world, all must come to know these truths, the messages within these three parables, that all might have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in a time where there is a greater need among mankind to have more of all these spiritual gifts as well as faith, hope, and love. This concludes Part 1, Canto 5 of Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. Be sure to subscribe or follow to receive notifications of future releases. The next episode will be a summary discussion of Part 1. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.